Well, hello everyone once again and welcome to episode 5 of the WCW Nitro Gen podcast with me, Marvellous Mark Ashworth, and my good friend, Das Actum Kid, Brian Bradshaw. How's it going, Brian? Hey, it's not too bad. It's a bit of a rainy night, so what's better to do than to record a podcast? I completely agree. This must be the first rainfall that we've had in, what, five or six weeks now? Yeah, we've had a nice few weeks of sunshine, haven't we? Unfortunately, we've not been able to get out in it unless you're doing your essential stuff. But it has brought a few smiles to people's faces. Well, the vitamin D coming through your windows, it does it does help a lot. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm quite lucky because my settee's right in front of the window, so the sun's beaming through while we're watching these WCW Nitros and the odd pay-per-view to, uh, to do this podcast for the fine people all over the world once again. Got to thank you so much for listening to our last episode and every previous episode as well. Um, we're really enjoying what we're doing at this moment in time in difficult circumstances. So we're hoping that you're enjoying what we're doing as well. And I hope you're enjoying it as well, Brian. I know that that last episode was kind of a little bit frustrating for you. You um, you did rant off once or twice, which uh, everybody enjoyed. I had fun getting a rant out there. It's, you know it's for entertainment. So I thought it was one of our strongest episodes. I'd agree that it's one of our strongest episodes for sure. And uh, the feedback that we're getting looks like it might have well have been. The worse and worse WCW gets, the better and better our podcast's going to get, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, exactly, because it, there's always that thing in the back of my head is, is that when wrestling is bad, it's got it's got more doors to open to, uh, to take piss out of it, really. Laugh at it when it's at its worst. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Um, I, I, I kind of correlate that with the, the VAR thing that they brought into football, which is essentially eliminating the decisions that referees make. Now, if you had computerised decisions always making decisions in football and eradicating the referees you'd have no talking points and it would just be a game of football where everything's gone correctly and nobody can say anything about the game anymore you can say well that was a nice goal then sort of drink your pint and that's it but the referee is there just like bad booking in wcw is there for us all to be talking about and much like a pre-var premier league they've got bad referees as well yeah, the, the, there are a couple. So I'm not going to stand on ceremony. I'm going to go straight into this and say that we are coming from Dayton, Ohio on October 30th, 1995 for Nitro number nine here. Two dark matches here. And we've got the American Males who defeated Harlem Heat in a WCW World Tag Team Championship match that ended in a DQ. And the other dark match was uh, Paul Orndorff defeating Mr. JL. I, I found out this week that Paul Orndorff was actually meant to be the backup for Mr. T when Mr. T faced Hulk Hogan. Was that that was at WrestleMania, weren't it? Yeah, it was a WrestleMania. It was the first WrestleMania, I think. Yeah, so apparently if Mr. T couldn't go, Paul Orndorff was the guy who was going to replace him. And, and this is coming from Paul Orndorff. It's not, not something that I've heard from anybody else, so y- you can take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, Paul Orndorff saying that he was supposed to be the successor to Hulk Hogan in the WWE. Hmm. I don't know much about Paul Orndorff. I've got to. I've got to be honest. But it would be a, a very big fall from grace if you were meant to be in the main event at WrestleMania One, and then you're dark matching on Nitro. Yeah. <laughs> in 1995. Yeah, my knowledge of him is very scant at best. Unfortunately, Yusef Fall from Grace has not been doing too well over the last few years. I think he I think he had a stroke or something like that. I, I did see a picture of him recently. He still looks pretty great. So, you know, go for him. I mean, he's what, in his fifties here and he's he looks an absolute hoss. 
Yeah, so he, do, he does have some style to him and he does have some uh, some build to him as well. It's just unfortunately, it looks like he's on the latter end of his career and people don't really know what to do with him either, which is a shame really, considering we've got characters like Shark, for example, Ugh. currently on TV getting a lot of TV time with not a lot of ability or direction with the character. We spoke about this on the, on a recent episode the, about the possibility of Shark Boy turning up in WCW. The WWE Spotify, they've released the themes from WCW and I was going through the list and Shark Boy is there. So you really should book him as Shark's son. Shark and Shark Boy. You know, I, I mean, I can get on board with that tag team. I do, I do enjoy that, that creative nugget from you. Uh, on the last episode about Shark Boy being Shark's son. That would have been so good. See, you know, they should have hired me, even though I was, what, eight years old at this point. Well, you're more creative than anybody on that creative team at this moment in time. I mean, we're, we're trying to book the giant as Andre the Giant's son. Why not have Shark Boy as Shark's son? I mean, may exactly. as well. May as well. More fucking believable. Exactly. <laughs> So we, we open up this Nitro with the commentary team discussing what happened last night at Halloween Havoc uh, and there's a tease of some footage which is going to be played later on in the show from the main event of that pay-per-view. So I'm going to run through the results from Halloween Havoc 95 and I'm sorry folks but I didn't watch Halloween Havoc I'm afraid. Actually I'm not afraid, I'm not embarrassed to say it. As we spoke about Brian on the last episode of the Nitro Gem podcast it just didn't look appealing and there wasn't much plugging going on for anything other than the Giant versus Hulk Hogan in a monster truck match and also in an actual match for the WCW title. We didn't know anything else that was happening on that pay-per-view. No, barring the uh, Sting Rick Flair versus Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman match because that was uh, promoted a little bit. Uh, it wasn't really promoted from the uh, commentary team much themselves. It was more a case of... Uh, we actually learned that match was going ahead when Sting accepted to be his partner. Yeah, There's four dark matches when it comes to Halloween Havoc, which obviously weren't broadcast on the pay-per-view, which is really, really sad because there's some fairly decent ones here. We start off with Eddie Guerrero defeating Disco Inferno. Paul Orndorff defeated the Renegade. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated the Blue Bloods, who are Lloyd Stephen Regal and Earl Robert Eaton. Wow. And Craig Pittman defeated VK Wall Street. The tag match went on for a good nine minutes which out of the four other than well I don't know it's probably a, it's a tie between Eddie and Disco but I'd probably give it to Benoit Malenko and the Blue Bloods just seeing them in the ring together would have been a real treat the rest of the pay-per-view goes like this Johnny B. Bad defeated Diamond Dallas Page who was with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle to win the WCW World Television Championship Macho Man Randy Savage defeated the Zodiac Kurosawa with Colonel Robert Parker defeated Road Warrior Hawk Sabu with The Sheik, not the Iron Sheik, unfortunately, defeated Mr. JL. Lex Luger defeated Meng by disqualification. Sting and Ric Flair defeated Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson by disqualification. Now, that's, that's, I find that an odd one. <laughs> yeah, that is very odd. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's the official result of that match as well. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Hulk Hogan defeated the Giant in the Monster Truck match. Randy Savage defeated Lex Luger. As previously discussed on another episode, Lex Luger, if he defeated Meng, and Randy Savage, if he defeated the Zodiac, would then face off against each other to settle the score. So Randy Savage won that one, uh, but Randy did come out of it with an injury as well. Then in the main event, which was given a good 15 minutes, the Giant with the Taskmaster defeated Hulk Hogan, who was the WCW champion, with Jimmy Hart by his side. 
via disqualification, which we will talk about later on. We won't go into detail now. That's that's basically the reason why I didn't watch it. I'm going to presume that's the reason why you didn't watch it as well. There's not much going on there that you really, really want to watch, is there, really? Yeah, I didn't watch it. I did actually watch the tag match. I was very interested in that, obviously. It's been the one thing that I have been invested in, barring the Cruiserweights. Uh, Storyline-wise, it has been the story for me. I didn't watch it. just watched the tag match. I listened to another podcast, How To Wrestling's review of it, which was very interesting to hear their take on it. That just discouraged me to watch it completely, if I'm honest with you. Like they, they didn't really have a good time of it. So, yeah, I wouldn't... Without watching the rest of the show, I would just say, don't go out your way to watch it. Save yourself. Just save yourself. No, that's it. What's, that's what the guys at How To Wrestling are there for, and that's also what we're here for as well. We'll just give you a run-through, a quick recap, and that's it. We'll just go straight into the Nitros, because that is what we're here for in the main... Sergeant Pittman is going to face off against Eddie Guerrero here as the opening bout of this Nitro number nine. As we go through the entrances for this first contest, it is mentioned that the Giant is now the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and that is all we're going to say, according to Eric Bischoff. There's a lot of controversy surrounding this one, Brian. Yeah, there seems to be a thorough line uh, through through this uh, episode where they, they're talking about it, but they're not actually giving away anything. They're saying that, Oh, we're waiting for the video footage. It's like, you are a television company. You are owned by a television company. You really should have the footage there, ready and waiting. But no, they just keep on teasing the footage. Keep on teasing the footage. Show a few stills. Don't talk about anything. I don't understand that at all. It, it just makes no sense to me. But it is what it is. They just tease it throughout the show and they show it at the end. This would have made sense if Bischoff was plugging the replay for the pay-per-view. Yes. So obviously he's still paying fourteen ninety-five for however much the pay-per-view is. If you are saying, quickly go and watch the replay because some crazy shit happened on WCW Halloween Havoc 1995, order it from your cable provider or whatever, but they don't plug it at all. I suppose they don't really want people to be turning off the Nitro to go and watch the pay-per-view. They want all eyes on the live television. So I can understand from that aspect... But, you know, you really should be letting people know what happened. Just with a little bit of a warning saying if you're not interested in the results, if you haven't watched it, you know, just turn away or whatever. You could you could discourage it a little bit. But again, they probably don't really want to do that. But tell us what happened. For goodness sake, tell us what happened. That was, a, that was the old BBC News trick, weren't it? The era of the football scores. And if you don't want to know the result, look away now. <laughs> or, yeah. or leave the room because then they started talking about them. Uh, good times. Good times. Very reminiscent of the old childhood. Yeah, very reminiscent of our adulthood. We've had no football for a couple of months now. <laughs> yeah, so it just feels like uh, just talking about fo- uh, football is nostalgic in itself. Yeah, when we're nearly 10 minutes into this podcast and it's come up twice and we're not watching any. <laughs> just if you're wondering how well our lockdown is going. Not really well. I've started having a kick around in my kitchen now with the dog. (laughs) I found a football the other day, so I just, I just, yeah, I just kicked the football and the dog just goes mental. That's the unfortunate thing with having a cat. Uh, They're not interested in kick around. I don't know, actually. You uh, you might want to get FIFA for your for your PlayStation because they always chase the ball. If you if you if your TV's down far enough, they'll chase the ball. My cat's not like that, unfortunately. We'll go back to the match here. Sergeant Greg Pittman's going to face off against Eddie Guerrero, and it's it's. Sorry, it just sounds like we're just distracting from this uh, from this match, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Yeah. We being Eddie Guerrero, I know. 
It wasn't great, guys. It wasn't great. No, it's, it plays to Pittman's strength and power more than anything else. But obviously, we've got used to Eddie Guerrero being the, the, the high-flying cruiserweight spectacular guy that he is. And he always puts yeah, on. Yeah, it's a complete mismatch. Yeah, he, he always puts on a really good match, but he, unfortunately, like you said, he it is a mismatch here. He's he's put against a guy that's not great in the ring. He's got a lot more weight. He's not as agile. Pittman's okay in in like a brawler sense when he's showcasing power. But... He has a good gut wrench body slam, but that seems to be his go-to. Hmm. Yeah. It, apart from that, it's iron bar, gut wrench, power, uh, body slam, iron bar, iron bar. Gut wrench, but it there's nothing else to him. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, he actually does a belly to belly in this match as well. I'll give him that, but yeah, he, he's he's very limited. Yeah, the commentary team kind of mentions in this as well that Pittman keeps going for the arm, so there you say arm bar and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but the commentary team wonders why he, he's constantly going for the arm, and that obviously goes back to when he faced Benoit a couple of weeks ago and clotheslined the corner post. So that at least that's what I'm putting in my own head, sort of thing. Maybe I'm giving it a yeah. backstory, maybe more than a, more of a backstory than it deserves. Eddie doesn't get much offense in this. I don't think. I thought Pittman got quite a quite a lot in it, which didn't make for a really good match. No, the it the match is designed to make uh, something for Craig Pittman. That's where where my uh, my train of thought comes in with it being a mismatch. Is that you could have put any old jobber in that match to make Pittman look strong. Uh, Eddie Guerrero's not that guy, unfortunately. Not at this point in his career, no. Eddie, obviously, he gets one of his kind of patented moves now that we've seen on WCW Nitro, which is the uh, springboard crossbody off the top rope. The the actual rope, not the turnbuckle. Uh, and he always executes that with perfection, but he only gets a two count for that. And it's back to the power game until Eddie gets a, an unexpected body scissors, which just kind of came out of nowhere in terms of the pin, puts all his weight, gets hold of the leg, and uh, gets the pinfall. So Eddie beats Pittman here, and thank fuck it's over. Let's just be honest with that one. Oh, okay, fair enough. We've got a quick recap on how Shark and Scott Norton have become the best of buddies. Psych. They actually really don't like each other. So the next matchup is going to be Shark versus Scott Norton. Anytime something starts off with Shark, you just lose interest in it. It's a shame, because really, I really enjoy watching Scott Norton at this moment in time. It's mentioned during the entrances that Bobby Heenan's had an impromptu toilet break. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's just left the commentary booth, essentially, and they don't know where he's actually gone. So we get into the match, and uh, I notice that Norton's kit kind of looks really generic. So it's like, I think Kurt Hennig used to wear something quite similar. Yes. Obviously, Norton is way, way, way bigger. I love the look of Norton. He just looks like a beast of a man. It's just it's just a shame that he's using quite a generic kit. You want him to be pretty much showing off his body a little bit more. He is like the prototypical wrestler. You know, if you're thinking of a wrestler, you want like a wrestler body. He he pretty much has it. Hmm. He does have a lot of athleticism as well. Unfortunately, we're not going to see much of it in this match again, probably because of who he's paired up against. Uh, it's a typical heavyweight bout, but there's an interesting segment in between where the camera cuts to Heenan, who sat with, I presumed it was Sonny Ono, so I kind of guessed right, as we'll find out yeah. later on, uh, as well as a few ladies, and they're all eating and drinking champagne, and, and the discussion kind of is that Heenan is naming off WCW's shows that they've got, so he's kind of selling the company, not 
literally selling the company to Sony Ono, but selling the idea of maybe advertising on the company, TV programs or whatever. The match ends up in, in no contest because the fight continues outside and there's a double count out. So the match is essentially another throwaway match that we've seen on Nitro. And the main thing to take away from this is the camera cutting back to Heenan, who's taken an envelope from Sonny Ono. And we're presuming that it's got a lot of money in there and he just continues to eat the sushi with Sonny. Yeah, nothing match. I will say it's very interesting, uh, the lack of psychology in this match, because Scott Norton has real great difficulty uh, knocking Shark off his feet, which is sort of bullshit considering how the feud started, which mm. was a, a slight touch to Shark, who fell over onto Scott Norton's legs and held him down as uh, Macho Man went for the elbow drop. Yeah, one week Shark seems to have had his spinach and the other week he doesn't. Yeah, yeah very, very... Uh, yeah, very contradictory. Yeah, like you said, the, the the story aspect of it just doesn't really match up, does it? You can't really expect more from a short match. No. <laughs> we got to Tony Schiavone in the ring, who's detailing the match with Sting versus Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman, obviously. As we were talking about earlier, the results with Halloween Havoc 1995, Ric Flair and Sting were supposed to team up, but Ric Flair didn't come out initially. He does come out later on, and he's desperate for the tag as Sting's getting the beat down, and when Ric Flair finally tags him... As you predicted, Brian, Ric Flair turns on Sting literally after a week. Tony brings out Ric Flair uh, into the ring, accompanied by Owen Anderson and Brian Pillman as well. And there's a heavy divide, I noticed, from the fans. Cheers and boos from all of them. Pillman cuts a great promo to start off with. I thought it was just really, really superb, really intense. And again, just saw, just got that little tweak of the maniacal Brian Pillman that we all love. The loose cannon. He mocks Sting, who's who was obviously desperately trying to make a tag. Huh, just... I fucking love that. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. This this segment actually, this is the best part of this Nitro uh, so far. I, I firmly believe like there's not been much to this Nitro as of yet. I will say, going back to the match, it's really weird that only Rick Flair can get away with this for me. In that, that turn made absolutely zero sense. Zero sense. If you want to put a backstory to it, this essentially started before the very first Nitro, that Arn Anderson and Rick Flair and presumably Brian Pillman as well got together backstage somewhere and just said, right, lads, uh, let's get the four horsemen back together with Brian Pillman. Uh, but instead of just like getting back together now, why don't we trick Sting? Yeah, we'll, we'll lead him on. We'll, out, you know, we'll make out that his friend and then fuck it. I'll just turn on him randomly in a match. It's like. The long con just doesn't really work. It doesn't make sense. It's just this old wrestling trope, and it, it does usually annoy me. But, as I said on the last episode, I really wanted this. I really wanted this. The idea of a four horseman with Brian Pillman, it it just rings in my ears. And plus, you want to see Ric Flair as a heel. As much as I was enjoying him as a babyface, he's at his best as a heel. Un- it's not even an argument. Not a debate at all. Oh, yeah. So, so as Arn Anderson takes over the mic after Pillman's great promo, this is where Pillman's mocking Sting, desperately trying to make the tag. Uh, and he details the fact that the four horsemen are back and that they will be ready to get the work done starting next week on Nitro. After this, we go to a match with Sabu versus uh, the Disco Inferno. Mm. I like Disco's 
tights. He's got Monday Night Fever on his tights, which is just instant heat. Literally the first thing I've written down. <laughs> it's instant heat. It's it's really tacky. It's really basically done, but it's just instant heat. It's like annoying wink to the uh, to the people at home as well. It's like, hey, hey. You know, because <laughs> we know that it's a rip-off of Saturday Night Fever. It's all gimmick. It's a whole rip-off of that. Yeah. You know, so I, I do like that. I really do. I hate John Travolta, so <laughs> just... I, I do. I despise him. I absolutely despise him. But this, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right with Disco Inferno, which is weird, really. Sabu just wipes him out as soon as the match starts. Uh, the commentators are again are, are plugging the footage from Hogan versus the Giant at Halloween Havoc. Also talking about Heenan's deal with the uh, with the Japanese. Disco gets a decent amount of offense in while maintaining some great heat, some really really good heat from the crowd actually, which gets Sabu over. Uh, Sabu will win this with the sunset leg drop from the apron, which is a patented move that Sabu usually uses. But again, we're going to see Sabu just completely lose his shit after the match. Uh, he hits Disco with a table. Yeah, we, we do, Sabu doesn't hit people with chairs. He hits people with fucking tables. He sets up the table and then goes for a senton, but Disco moves and the table doesn't break. So Sabu loses his shit again and just starts throwing ring, ring steps. And those ring steps are heavy as fuck. He just throws the ring steps at the table, like <laughs> blaming the table for not going through. I fucking love this man. It was it is. It it you know that's that's a fucking shoot, and it's you know it's the wrestling equivalent of getting so angry at home and you just fucking kick the coffee table. You're like, fuck off and then. <laughs> yeah, it. I fucking loved it, but you could tell he was genuinely pissed off. Those tables are unforgiving. Yeah, I mean, where did he get this table from? I'm going to presume, like, because the camera was focusing on Disco Inferno and obviously the referee was trying to get him to go round the back of the... Um, sorry, back to the entranceway to get this final, you know, segment done. and um, Or get this final spot done, should I say. And it's given time for Sabu to actually find a table because I'm going to presume, and this is WCW, so I'm going to guarantee that this is the case, that somebody forgot to put the table underneath the ring. So Sabu's had a look under there and gone, oh, for fuck's sake, there's no fucking table. And I just have this idea of Sabu just going all the way to the back, just clearing catering, grabbing a table from catering, which is a legitimate table, and bringing it out and just going, ah, fuck it, I'll just, I'll just go through that. And then when it doesn't go through... Just seeing him, he's just like, ah, fuck my back. And then he no-sells it, picks up some steps, throws them at the table, then falls back down and starts selling the back again. It just, it's so nonsensical, but I loved it. Here's my argument, my counterpoint. He's got that from Sonny Arno, that table. That's a Japanese table. That table, it's exactly the same one as Chris Jericho tried to put Kenny Omega through, or the other way around, one or the other, in, uh, at Wrestle Kingdom a couple of years ago, it's exactly the same. The same. It just looks the same. Unforgiving, awful fucking tables. So we're saying that Sonny Ono is not going to bring Japanese wrestlers to WCW. He's going to bring Japanese tables, and that's what Heenan's deal's all about. Yeah, literal foreign objects. Excellent. I love it. Right, that's it. From now on, that's exactly what's happening. There we go. I think we might have our first fucking T-shirt there. <laughs> yeah. We're continuing Nitro here and we're going to see Meng and Lex Luger team up with... Sorry, they're not going to team up with Jimmy Hart. They're going to be accompanied to the ring by Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster. And they're going to face off against the American males who, as I went through the dark matches earlier, have already wrestled once on this card. The commentators discussed Jimmy being a snake and the, the fact that they thought they'd never see Lex with Meng. 
whilst not exactly giving the details of what's happened at the pay-per-view, which is, again, it's really, really annoying. It's a good match for what it is. I mean, I'm not going to go into details with bloody moves and everything like that. We've already tried that, and it just doesn't work out well for any of us. But it's a classic bad guys get the most of the offence heavyweight type of tag team bout. Uh, I really dug Bagwell's flurry of offence after the hot tag. At this time, I think we discussed this a couple of weeks ago as well, that, you know, as it's Marcus Bagwell at this moment in time, Marcus Bagwell looks hungry and he looks like he's actually, you know, up for actually being a good wrestler in WCW. And he looks to be getting the push as well. I know, I know that at this point, I think Bischoff was really high on him and enjoyed his work. It's just as, as time went on, yeah, going, you know, into the late 90s and into the early noughties, you know, Bagwell just seemed to occur less and less. Yeah, either that or, you know, there's more bribes going on and uh, Judy Bagwell paid Eric Bischoff off. You know, give give my son a push. The finish starts with men kicking Scotty Riggs in the head, which looks pretty good, actually, from the hard cam. Yeah, Scotty Riggs, he's a really good seller. I've figured that out in the couple of matches mm-hmm. I've seen. He's a really good seller, and he's got a fucking gorgeous dropkick. So like, that seems to be my thing on this yeah. podcast. You know, my, that that's <laughs> the... Um, that's the scale I judge my wrestlers on. Have they got a good dropkick? Yes, they're good wrestlers. Seems to be re- getting a bit repetitive in that aspect. But no, I, I, I am enjoying the American males more than what I thought I would do. I'm glad you said it's a scale of you liking a wrestler, how good the dropkick is. Because I thought that you were going to go for it. I have a fetish for dropkicks. <laughs> hey, who knows? <laughs> Even I'm getting a bit worried about that now. The bonus is this is an explicit podcast, so you are all right to talk about that sort of stuff and we won't get banned from all your favourite podcast networks. Yeah. Men's kick to Scotty Riggs happens while the referee's distracted and it sets up the finish after Riggs had initially kicked Bagwell in the back to change his momentum so that Lex Luger's scoop didn't actually go all tilt. So Bagwell ends up on top of Lex Luger for the pinfall. Meng kicks Bagwell in the back of the head then, and Lex gets the torture rack on. As always, you know, he can't just go for the pinfall, he's got to have his torture rack on it. And we'll get the win just because Bagwell can't answer the count here. We go to a break, and then we show the footage from Halloween Havoc's main event. I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about the footage that's shown here, because you can essentially cut this in half. There's one half I really enjoyed, which is surprising for anything that Hulk Hogan's ever done. But there's the other half that's just gone completely tits up. Hogan's about to leg drop the giant, and when his back is turned, Jimmy Hart has laid out the referee with the belt. But then he pretends like he's not done anything. And I'm like, all right, so far, so good. This isn't that bad. Jimmy gets into the ring, picks up the referee, and Jimmy's going to escort him to the back, and another referee's going to come out or whatever. Meanwhile, the giant peeks his head up, which was brilliant to see what's going on and then plays possum again and when Hogan turns his attention back to the giant Jimmy dumps the referee on the floor and wallops Hogan around the head with the title belt it does absolutely nothing to Hogan he no sells it he then grabs Jimmy and the giant then puts a stop to it and gets Hogan in a bear hug up to that point everything went really smoothly and I thought this is a really good finish to this match and it made me want to watch the match but then I carried on watching the Taskmaster is then giving some weak forearm shots to Hogan whilst he's still in this bear hug. And he keeps looking over his shoulder as if he's expecting someone to come out, which is, to me, a clear giveaway. So, straight away, Taskmaster's completely botching this up now. Lex and Macho come out to a huge evasion to make the save. Macho goes straight in to unlock Hogan from the Giant, but goes down. And it's not obvious here what actually happens. Then, do you, do you want to say it or shall I? The Yeti comes out. 
Right. Sorry, I didn't sound enthusiastic enough, so I'm going to relay that out again to the listeners at home. The Yeti comes out! <laughs> Good man. Yes, the Yeti comes out and Lex turns on Macho whilst the Yeti is coming out and we miss it. Uh, we just basically cut back to the hard cam and Lex is already stomping a mud hole in Macho. The Yeti comes in and also gets Hogan in a bird hug, so this this grip is just the Hogan sandwich. It's fucking ridiculous. It's very, very homoerotic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very. I was watching this and I'm like, have I fucking switched over to Brazos accidentally here? I'm <laughs> there looking for the Brazos logo. Like, what the fuck is going on? He's just there. He's fucking put his arm around, uh, around Hogan and the Giant. And he's just so wiggling away. And by proxy, fucking... The Giant's doing the exact same. And Hogan's in the middle shaking his head. Oh, my God. Yeah, <sighs> it was it was really cheesy, really unusual. And Heenan says that this is the end of Hogan's career. You know, Shivani again, d- does his best with this, I think. And he, he, he end of his it. career? He mu- yeah, if he fucking dies of embarrassment, which... To be honest with you, I can imagine that fucking Hogan was embarrassed by this. I can imagine Hogan thought the fucking idea up. Yeah, probably, but it didn't go to plan, did it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it did. I I don't have Hogan as a creative genius by any stretch of the imagination, so this... Yeah, maybe he wanted it to be homoerotic. (laughs) Yeah, he could have. Shivani's really excitable in this commentary, and other than the the big Yeti sort of bullshit that's been played to death now, it's a good broadcast from him, and I think he does actually give this a little bit more substance than it deserves, really. We go back to the ring live on Nitro and the Giant Taskmaster, Jimmy Hart and Lex are all in the ring. Uh, A Giant is wearing the WCW World title. Shivani mentions that the Giant is not the world champion and Jimmy Hart says he will explain all of this on the next Nitro but says that the evil that the Taskmaster was living with, according to Hulk Hogan, was Jimmy Hart all along and that his future is now the Giant and Lex Luger. Lex describes Hogan and Macho's being crumpled heaps on the floor whilst Sullivan fits on the floor as well. Finally, Giant says that he'll defend the world title, which is obviously not his world title, next week on Nitro. We've gone from the Dungeon of Doom to the Giant and Lex Luger, and I have to admit that this is a massive step up in terms of the potential of what could happen here. Uh, the Taskmaster still drawing you know, Sharpie all over his face, and, and Jimmy Hart is kind of like a cartoon character as well. Yeah. But this has just been given a lot more oomph to it than what we've been experiencing for the previous eight Nitros that we've had to endure. What do you think about that, Brian? Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a step up, which is saying a lot considering it is Luger. But I will give you that. It is a step up. I'm hoping, and I'm hoping very much in vain here because I know how this can go for me. I hope too hard and I get the exact opposite. I'm hoping this is starting to phase out the Dungeon of Doom, and going on to a new power group, probably not going to happen. I think we've discussed before that we'd love to see the four horsemen in the place of the Dungeon of Doom at this moment in time, wouldn't we, really? Yes. We close off Nitro here, and, and I'm going to give you the ratings for this one. Uh, Nitro got a 2.3 versus Rose 2.1, and as always, I'm going to give you the raw results, which are Goldust defeating Savio Vega, Marty Jannetty defeating Joe Dorgan, the Smoking Guns, who are Bart Gunn and Billy Gunn, who are the tag team champions, Defeating John Reckner and Phil Apollo. Uh, and they retained the WWF Tag Team Championships. And a match that I went back and actually watched all the way through and really, really enjoyed was Razor Ramon defeating Owen Hart, who had been accompanied to the ring 
by Jim Cornette. Razor won by disqualification to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship after about 10 minutes. Yokozuna came out approximately like two or three minutes into the match. He cost Owen the match after interfering, saving him from the Razor's edge. Uh, one, two, three, Kid would come out to get a couple of shots in on Yokozuna, but he was dispatched with ease. Ahmed Johnson, who looked like a fucking monster when he came out, came out and slammed Yokozuna. And Raw went off the air with Bulldog coming down to try and you know, square up to Ahmed Johnson and Ahmed Johnson just turned around and Bulldog just sort of stepped off and just went, whoa, wait, hang on a minute. I ain't punching him. I really enjoyed that match. I had to mute it again because the commentary is just atrocious, but the match itself is well worth a watch. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, you're saying Ahmed Johnson looked like a monster. Have you actually heard him cut a promo ever? I'm going to get you. That's how he talks. He's, <laughs> literally, he, he's like a Geordie. And no offence to Jordy, so it starts off with quite a deep voice, but by the time he finishes a sentence, it's quite high-pitched. You know, it is comical. It's, it's a complete antithesis of the actual body. He was pretty damn popular going from this. Yeah, this isn't really a criticism, I suppose, but a lot of people say that Eric Bischoff used to pipe in the crowd chants on Nitro, which he did. Uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step away from that. But as I was watching this main event, as good of a match as it was, as it's getting towards the end and everybody in the locker rooms coming out essentially, there's not as much crowd reaction physically as you can hear, which I found really odd. Yeah. But nevertheless, if you get chance, it is on Daily Motion. That's what I watched it on. Have a look at this match because it's really good. It's peak Razor Ramon Scott Hall and it's peak Owen Hart and it's just really really good. But back to Nitro, Brian. What did you think of this promoting the other show? Stop. (laughs) Back to Nitro, Brian. Uh, What kind of rating are you going to give this and what would your summary be? It was a solid one star. Not a great show. By design, it was uh, a show with very short matches. So you'd assume that it's going to be made up with storyline development. There's very little storyline development barring the Four Horsemen, their explanation and all that. It's mainly just promoting the footage arriving and that's that just doesn't make for compelling TV. Instead of promoting footage, just show the footage. If you're not going to show the footage, give more time and quality to the matches. You know, it's not we're not really asking for a lot here, are we? No, not really. Uh, it, it does feel like WCW have kind of started to hit the reset button here again and they're trying to get three fairly decent stories going so obviously you've got Bobby Heenan bringing in the Japanese tables I like that we're going with that now (laughs) yeah you've got the giant not being the world champion but is the world champion where is Hulk Hogan Uh, we've got rather than the cartoon characters we've got the giant and Lex Luger who look realistic in wrestling terms but yeah in terms of match quality it wasn't that good we are just trying to I don't know build new stories maybe it's, it's not the kind of fallout show that you want, is it really? No. We're going to go into Nitro number 10 now, November 6th in Jacksonville, Florida. And there's one door match on this one. Jim Duggan will defeat Big Bubba Rogers. I can't remember the last time we saw Big Bubba Rogers on uh, Nitro, actually. Uh, Where Big Bubba Rogers versus Rod Warrior Hawk. Yes, it was. It was a match that Disco Inferno interfered. I think we're... We're probably going back three three weeks now, four weeks now. Yeah, something we? like that now, yeah. In natural terms, that's that's a shame, really. We open it up with a, a brand new venture for WCWA here where we're going to be using a phone line which costs 99 cents a minute and from this point onwards, I'm just going to round it up to a dollar. Fans basically phone this number to decide 
which wrestlers they want to face off in the main event. I haven't written the wrestlers down, couldn't be asked, but basically there's two locker rooms full of wrestlers and Eric Bischoff straight away just promotes that he wants to see Ric Flair versus Sting because of all the fallout of what's been happening with Ric Flair versus Sting. What did you think of these phone lines? It was really fucking weird. And it's clear that it was a cash grab for WCW and nothing more. I don't think the fans decided the main event. I think you'd be right. I think Bischoff said it on 83 Weeks that it was a work. Yeah. Obviously, this is just a complete farce, in my opinion. Uh, It's a way for WCW to make a dollar a minute for something completely worked. And to be fair, these these sorts of things... I know that these days, rather than press one for this, press two for this, you usually have to use your voice now. Uh, I think particularly in banking, when you're phoning the bank up. And the amount of times that they get it wrong, especially with people like you and I who've got heavy Lancashirean accents... If you've got a phone line that did the same thing, that's charging you a dollar a minute, you could just say, I'm sorry, we did not get your response. Please try again. So you're going to be on that phone line for four or five minutes, which is $5 straight away. It's not a simple case of just saying, I want A, Ric Flair and D, Sting. And then that's it. You've spent a dollar. You're going to be making a fortune out of this if you're stupid enough to phone it. Even then, these days, they tend to do this now and then, you know, uh, cast your votes, that thing. No one's ringing or texting anything now. It's usually like a Twitter poll or uh, go to a website for our poll, that type thing. Uh, WWE did actually try to have phone line uh, voting for matches, I'd say a good six years ago now, six, seven years ago. And they were clearly rigged, right? But from what I hear, they weren't, there were no profit margin from them. Everyone would just prefer to go onto Twitter, go onto the website and vote that way. I mean, they also give them the option to, so there you go. It surprises me that people still feed into this sort of stuff as well with these phone lines. Uh, you can do it by a text message now as well, obviously, on things like X Factor and all that lot. But it rakes the money in for them. It's no wonder Simon Cowell's so rich. Yeah. Th- those cost like pound fifty a text or pound fifty a minute for placing a vote for somebody who's fairly decent at singing. It's just, it baffles my brain that the population doesn't get that this is just a money spinner. And, as you said, usually it's just fucking worked. It's all rigged. Yeah. Speaking of Simon Cowell, do you know that he actually has a little bit of history with wrestling? I did know this, yeah. I'll let you go into detail about it. Yeah, he produced the WWF Slam Jam album. Yeah, he was involved in quite a few of the few of the themes back then as well, apparently. Yeah, it it all came from the Slam Jam album. I think it was '92. Uh, I think they took advantage of uh, Summer Slam being in, uh, being at Wembley, and Simon Cowell was like part of the promotion or something. I can't I, I can't really remember. You know, if I remember correctly, it was released on his record label, Psycho. Yeah, yeah. It would have been four years old. He he, he does <laughs> he does have that tiny little bit of wrestling in his repertoire, but unfortunately, I couldn't give two shits about him. We always go back to themes. Like, every every podcast now, we go back to theme music. Well, the first note that I have for the opening match is about the theme. Oh, excellent. Well, for the yeah. phone line, we see Shark and Scott Norton in the same room together, and they're getting along famously, which makes no fucking sense again. So, yeah, anyway, we're going to go to the first match. Brian, if you want to go for it. Yeah, Cobra versus the Giant. Um, no idea who Cobra is. Oh no, he's, he's got a clearly dubbed in Morse code theme. The, the thing is though, I heard this theme and I thought something was uh, going on with the network. I'm like, why is it fucking got this beeping noise? 
it turns out it's this it was Cobra's entrance theme uh, if you're gonna go and watch this uh, don't watch it with your earphones in like I did the level of the Morse code the sound level of the Morse code had me kind of thinking that it was dubbed in by the WWE I'm not sure this was his theme because it was too loud yeah uh, that's why I say it's clearly dubbed in which is what yeah. WWE do with a lot of themes anyway yeah. I've not noticed many have actually uh, been dubbed over for natural, which is quite surprising. The only one I think is dubbed over, and I might be completely wrong because I don't really know the history. I'm pretty sure that Sabu's theme isn't his theme. That's uh, La Parker's theme. So I don't know if that was uh, used for Sabu first, but it's not really a good fit either. So I'm not so sure if they'd actually used another theme that may have infringed on some copyright laws or... Um, to, uh, TNT on it or what have you, you know, because it's all it's all really complicated, isn't it? Yeah, um, uh, it has happened a few times to be fair, and I've, I've not been noting them down. That's the reason why I don't discuss themes in terms of the WWE broadcasts because a lot of them are dubbed over. Uh, you're right in saying that Sabu's is dubbed over. Uh, they did it with Eddie Guerrero's, but it seems like maybe a couple of weeks ago they missed. Eddie Guerrero's and they actually played the real one yeah the the very first Eddie Guerrero match he had a mariachi theme mm. uh, there is and, and then they moved on to the one with the uh, sassy bass line yeah it's a shame really but again when it comes to like further down the line where Diamond Dallas Page's theme gets dubbed over because it's it smells like Teen Spirit by Nirvana it, well it's not exactly smells like Teen Spirit by Nirvana but it's kind of a rip off of that song so the WWE have dubbed over it, and that's basically the reason why WWE dub over a lot of WCW themes because they are kind of rip-offs. Yeah, Jimmy Hart was very well known for uh, changing the requisite amount of notes just to not infringe on copyright laws, but that's also in 1995. Nowadays, it's probably a little bit different. I think anything that sounds remotely similar can be tried in court so yeah yeah, yeah. I, you can understand WWE not wanting to take that risk even though they have uh, one of the best lawyers uh, ever because the kind of shit that Jerry McDivitt has done to help Vince McMahon over the years pull him out of all the shit is insane but that's another story for another day it certainly is and I look forward to discussing that with you particularly around the 1997 mark when it comes to WCW Nitro he sent some Rather interesting cease and desist orders, which, when you look back in hindsight, you think, man, that's exactly what the WWF and WWE do, but you're telling WCW not to do it. So anyway, I won't go into it too much, but in terms of themes as well, um, you were on about the list earlier on of the best of WCW themes that you went through, as we were both having a listen earlier on today, and I think that's the reason why so many big names are out of it, simply because they are kind of like rip-off themes. Yeah, I was going to say there is a little bit of padding, you know, because you didn't really expect. I didn't really expect to see Shark Boy's theme, or Gorgeous George, as you pointed out. Yeah, it turns out that that is not Gorgeous George's theme, but also there is a second Gorgeous George. But again, no spoilers because that'll happen around Nitro '99. Ah, yes. interesting. And let's just say involves the Machumian year. So yeah, is it just me, or does WCW have 186 wrestlers with army gimmicks? Yes. If it isn't a sergeant, it's a colonel. If it isn't a colonel, it's just a guy with khaki green on. 
It just seems to be like generic character 101, and you could have a faction of army dudes. Yeah, Cobra, it's like, he looks like a Metal Gear Solid character. He's got the name as well. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, in one of the Metal Gear Solid games, there is uh, an antagonist called Cobra or something along those lines. I might be misremembering because the main character is called fucking Solid Snake. Yeah, so. No, it seems to ring a bell, although it's been a long time since I've played any of them games. Yeah, it's been a while for me. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, continuing to this match, Chokeslam, win. Yeah, the giant does come in and he does pick up Dave Penzu, which I did kind of enjoy. Oh yeah, that was funny. Massive shout out to Dave Penzu, got in touch with us on Twitter. This is like awesome for us and this is like my childhood dream come true. Yeah, um, thank you for that, Dave. Hope you continue listening, Dave. If you ever like to guest on the podcast, you're more than welcome to. But yeah, thanks very much for getting in touch with us. And he forces him to say that it's a title match. So Penzu absolutely agrees so that he can be put down. Oh, yeah. He just goes, this is a title match and gets out of dodge. He gets out of the ring. Uh, but Penzu lasts longer than the Cobra did in the ring. Oh, yeah. Because like you said, it's a choke slam and it's over. And I think the official time for this was given 16 seconds. Very basic. Uh, we don't even need to talk about it, do we, really? <laughs> There's heavy pushing of this phone number again, which is just starting to aggravate me already. But we do see Shark and Scott Norton finally kick off with each other because, obviously, they want to keep the story going. What a great story it is. Meanwhile, Sting says that he wants Ric Flair and Alex Wright is okay again. Yay! Yeah. He healed up really quick. He did. It's like, check out fucking John Cena here. You know, I, I broke my ankle. Oh, I'll just fucking walk it off. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's like you were on crutches two weeks ago. Miraculous recovery. I'm not complaining, by the way. Fucking happy. Delighted to see him back fit. I was meant to tell you something on the last podcast about Alex Wright, and I completely forgot to do it. So oh, yes, you did. Here's my little tidbit of information on Alex Wright. This will either make or break Alex Wright for you now. Oh, dear. According to Scotty Riggs, he... Marcus Bagwell and Alex Wright took turns using one of the men's bathrooms at the Mall of America when they were doing the first Nitro to have sex with different women in the stalls while one was appointed as lookout. <laughs> Fuck's sake. I know, dude. Uh, I know. That, that doesn't break him for me. You know, he's like I said in the first episode, he's a fucking dreamboat. Sorry, in his first uh, appearance. He's a dreamboat. Of course he's going to get the ladies. You know, more power to you. <laughs> As long as it's consensual, it's fine. That's exactly it, yes. Macho and Hogan are hanging out in Venice Beach, California earlier on today in this Nitro. And we go back to a video package which is just, I don't know. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, it, it's... it's like fucking Hulk Hogan's having a mental breakdown. So I don't know who the guitarist is. I have no clue. And then there's like a homeless dude. And Hogan and Macho are like with this homeless dude. But they're both dressed in black and white. So this is like pre-NWO, like way before the NWO. But this is essentially what we're going to see in the NWO. Like to the exact gear. This is what Macho wears in the NWO and everything. There's a massive lump as well on Macho's arm. I don't know if you noticed that. So that, that stems into the injury. Yeah, I did. And that's the reason why Macho for a few weeks has been doing like really short matches. Macho says to Hogan that he should lay low for a bit. And Macho's going to go to Nitro to see who can be trusted. What do you think, as you were just saying, this was really weird. What do you think to this segment? Yeah, it just seems like fucking Hogan's decided he's a, his character is now teenager running away from home and hanging around with a lot of hippies. It's like, 
I don't understand what's going on here. The weirdest thing is as well, the night before, me and Beth had been watching The Pick of Destiny. Today's just The Pick of Destiny. Holy shit. Yeah. They essentially do the same thing. Carl Gass is just like a guitarist on Venice Beach. Fuck you know. <laughs> so we go back to Nitro, and it's the uh, Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart versus The Renegade. I already know you love this match. It was probably a five-star rating. Not quite, no. But I will say that, you know, you said that very, very sarcastically. But uh, I did actually enjoy this match. What? A little bit, yes. Not. What the fuck? Yeah, it wasn't a great match. But I was actually quite impressed by the Renegade. His intensity, despite being an Ultimate Warrior ripoff, quite clearly. Uh, his intensity is... Uh, Leaping over the ropes, being able to do a cartwheel into an elbow into the corner. It's like, this is a guy that clearly has something going for him. But there's just, like, unfortunately, he's been given, you know, given the wrong gimmick. And, well, he's in the ring with fucking Kevin Sullivan. So, there's not really a great deal going for him. Yeah, he comes down with um, intensity and he just clotheslines Sullivan a uh, a few times. And Sullivan just doesn't look like he's expecting it whatsoever, which... Which was brilliant in itself, just just to see Sullivan get leveled without knowing. I think I'd side with you. Now that you've said it, I think I'd side with you in terms of Renegade. I don't think it's a great outing for him simply because he's working with Kevin Sullivan. If he'd have been working with somebody who was a little bit more like, you know, switched on, he probably would have done a better job. But in terms of like this match, uh, as opposed, you know, we're, we're, we're again we're in we're in competition with Raw. Uh, and I can almost guarantee that Raw won't be having silly matches like this. No. That really are nonsensical. But basically what happens here is it's uh, it's confirmed in commentary during this match that Heenan did indeed make a deal with Sonny Ono uh, to showcase Japanese talent on WCW Pro, which is usually on a Saturday night, I think. Saturday, No, Saturday morning. It was on a Saturday morning. Sullivan wins this one with a double foot stomp from the middle rope. There's zero reaction from the crowd, which is all this really deserves... Did you hear what Bobby Heenan said about that double foot stomp? No. He called it the Dungeon's Heimlich Maneuver. (laughs) Class. Uh, Absolute fucking solid goal. Well, clearly the commentary was better than the match. Um, There was zero reaction from the crowd for the finish. There was zero reaction for the actual count. Uh, But Jimmy Hart actually says to the Renegade that he should have accepted the Dungeon of Doom's offer. So he's giving it a little bit of a little bit of a story that nobody's going to care about. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to plug the phone line one more time, uh, but this time all the lights go out, and then it, somebody just turned the lights off here. I'm, I'm just absolutely adamant that that's what happens. Ric Flair does pretty well to say the Lord turns on the lights and turns off the lights at my behest, <laughs> which wasn't bad. As you can see in these promos now, they've given Sting the mic. He said that he wants Fleur. They've given Fleur the mic and he's saying that I want Sting. We already know where this is going. But now we're going to go on to Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. This is the second time these guys have faced off. And I'm just going to let you take this one, Brian. Oh, what an absolute treat. But, you know, we're basically just regurgitating the same thing here. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, any combination of matches that you put them in, being in a tag match, being in a singles match, you are going to get a fantastic contest. And it's no different here. I actually said that, and I even wrote this in my notes, but I also text Mark uh, on the day that I was watching it and just saying that I'm not going to be taking many notes for this. 
I took 32 lines worth of notes, but I'm not going to go through every single thing, every single move. I'm just going to brief it down as much as possible. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Starts off with a beautiful fast snap suplex from Chris Benoit. He has incredible transitions from explosive power bombs into a cloverleaf. Absolutely seamless. I call him pretty much an anti-cruiserweight in his style, but he has that in him. And we do see little, little snippets of his pace in this match again. Eddie finds himself back in control with springboard arm drags and a tilt-a-whirl, as usual, standard fur from Eddie. Benoit gets out of dodge as Eddie goes up. Another leaping crossbody. We say this every single week now. The height that he gets is absolutely unbelievable. Eddie back in the ring and he uh, gets a brain buster and he goes up. But Benoit hits a superplex straight away. And key moment of this match was uh, Benoit hitting another nasty looking powerbomb for a two count. Fortunately, Eddie Guerrero's head does not bounce off the mat like a basketball, as uh, Eric Bischoff said last week. But it still was absolutely brutal. Eddie goes for a victory roll from a rebound, but gets a two count and gets a kick of his head for his troubles. Irish whip from Benoit, who hits a knee to the midsection, but Eddie rolls through beautifully with a schoolboy roll pin for another two count. Gets another kick to the back of his head. So I was starting to feel sorry for Eddie Guerrero here. Benoit does seem to stiff him a little bit. Yeah, we end up with bridging suplexes from Benoit. Uh, just, again, standard Benoit matches here. Benoit throws Eddie on the ropes. They throw intense fists over the ropes before Benoit pulls Eddie over his suplex tent, but Eddie collapses on him for a free count whilst Benoit's feet are on the ropes. Really, really fast-paced, brilliant match. Uh, go out your way to see it. What more can we say? I'm really struggling to put into words. To find new words to describe them, it's absolutely sensational. The finish was a little bit screwy mind, but it just continues the storyline. It continues the feud, if that's what you want to call it. And oh, yeah, just absolute sensational stuff yet again. Yeah, this kind of showcased that they were uh, able to have more of a heavyweight technical kind of match rather than your, your high flying spots. Uh, the pair of them, it was a little slower. And obviously there, there's a cut scene halfway through the match as well with the Japanese contingent in the crowd having a meal alongside Jushin Thunder Liger, who um, is in a tracksuit while the rest of them are in a suit. Walking miserable, probably because they can't eat any of the food. <laughs> could be, could be. As you said, the sickening powerbomb. Yeah, basically, I enjoyed this. I mean, I enjoyed the last time that they wrestled more just because of the way that that match was and the way it was structured in this one it was a little bit slower it was a little bit more technical a little bit more methodical and it was kind of like for the second week in a row eddie's kind of got away with the win rather than he's worked for the win yes it's basically there to get uh, to really establish the kind of character that benoit is the kind of wrestler that he is as i call him anti-lucha uh like like I say, he's got he possesses the abilities, but unless he has to, unless he has to use them, he won't do. He will just ground and pound. Uh, it'd be interesting to see him up against somebody with a similar style to him, maybe someone like Dimalenko, because I imagine I can imagine that he'll counterbalance those kind of matches with more of the high flying stuff that he can do. Yep. Not the worst match in the world, though. I thought it was pretty decent, and it's worth having a look if you have access to. WCW Nitro on the WWE Network or on YouTube or Daily Motion or wherever you enjoy watching wrestling. We get another plug for the phone number, and this is the third and final one on this 
telecast of WCW Nitro. Sting cuts an energetic promo on Flair, and it's obvious that this is the match that will be quote-unquote voted for. And as we come back from a break, it is confirmed by the commentary team that it will be Sting versus Ric Flair in the main event. This wasn't your typical Sting Flair match, which we detailed on the very first episode of the Nitro Gem podcast, because obviously they wrestled on the first episode of WCW Nitro. Sting and Flair matches usually tend to go the same way, uh, but this one went a little bit different, as did the Eddie Benoit matches we just discussed. It kind of showed a, a new side to all four of these wrestlers, respectively. They changed it up a little bit, but most of it is the same moves, essentially. It's more about telling the story of Flair turning on Sting and Sting's face reaction, as well as what we're starting here with Sting's sort of trajectory. There's, there's less, obviously you can see it from the entrances straight away that Sting has, he's not this vibrant, you know, young kid anymore. And again, he's, you know, his hair's growing out a little bit more. It's almost as if he's, he's transitioning into a new character, really. And that might be the direction that they're going for. Uh, but there's certainly no, you know, high-fiving with the fans or anything on his way down. He's intense mm. and he's, he's focused on Fleur. And as you might notice as well... All business. All business, I agree, yeah. Uh, you might notice as well that Fleur doesn't come down with a robe. No, and Sting doesn't even have his jacket as well. Mm. It just seems like they were both all business in this. Yeah, I did notice halfway through the match that Ric Flair lost one of his knee pads. I wasn't sure if he came out with both knee pads on and he took one off, or if he'd lost it. Nah, I didn't even notice. So, basically, he'll go to the beach wearing two, but when he's wrestling in the main event on Nitro, (laughs) he only needs one. It's Ric Flair, for fuck's sake. Yeah, Yeah, I'm supposing with all the ladies he's going to get on the beach, he's he's going to need both knee pads. Yeah. (laughs) uh, His heat's great, though, in this match. I loved it. It's just uh, vintage Ric Flair, you know, the sneaky tricks. He's using the ropes for his chokeholds and, you know, for his pin attempts and... He attempts to use a chair at one point and the referee takes it off him. He pushes the referee, who pushes him back. It's... The way he reacts to the the ref pulling the chair out, because he's like he's taking one step forward as the ref pulls, and he just yeah. he, he still steps forward and just like pauses. His foot doesn't even touch the floor, like he just pauses and just looks around him. Oh I don't know why, I just found it so fucking funny. It was so cartoonish. Yeah, it, this is the good cartoony though. It's it's just so good. It's yes. um, it's it, it makes you hate Ric Flair, but you're doing it knowing that he's just like a comical heel. Exactly, yeah. I love it. I, I love seeing it all again. It's just so good. Sting goes to town on Flair with right hands that are closed fist punches, and that makes the referee jump in and attempt to break it up. So Sting literally picks up the referee and puts him on the opposing top turnbuckle, <laughs> which allows Flair to pull out the brass knuckles. I thought this was so well done. Yeah. The brass knuckles connects with Sting, but Flair takes his time covering. He actually drops an elbow and then goes for a cover. It allows Sting to recover and kick out at two. The finish is Sting locking Flair into the Scorpion Deathlock, but re- refusing to let go after he's won the match, which triggers the referee and some of the locker room to come out to get Sting to release the hold. Sting reluctantly does and walks down the aisle with uh, a few of the guys, but then he runs back in to put him straight back into a Scorpion Deathlock. Bischoff's already given away excitably that, that Lex Luger's on his way down, but then he tries to backtrack and says that he's been stopped by security. There was clearly a mistiming there. I think so, yeah. I think Bischoff just, he's just gone, he's just completely forgot the script. <laughs> I just think it Lex Luger just didn't come out when he was meant to. I think I think if I'd have muted this and Lex was coming out the second time, I think it would have made more sense, which is obviously what happens here. Lex yeah. does come down the second time. 
but he doesn't have much urgency. He just sort of struts to the ring. He speaks a few words into Sting's ear, and Heenan says, oh, hang on a minute, Lex has got Sting's here. And Sting releases the hold and just completely leaves him alone, gets out of the ring and walks off with Lex Luger. And obviously the commentary are teasing, why is he walking away with Lex Luger, who is now a bad guy, whilst the WCW roster, the locker room that is in the ring with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Johnny B. Bad and everything like that, sort of wondering, you know, what's the deal with this? It was announced during this match as well that there'll be a special announcement at the end of the show. So that is our main event. What did you think to this one, Brian? Yeah, very good match. As you say, it wasn't the typical Sting Flair match. I did actually go out of my way to watch the very first Nitro again, just for that match, and lining up against this match. There are the few familiar spots, as you are going to get anyway. It's more of a brawl than anything. Uh, Sting being showing very heel characteristics as well. Uh, it was almost as if the mutual respect had left in this match. Basically, it? yes. Yeah, but obviously yeah. there was mutual respect in the first match, irrespective of like whatever storylines might have been going on at that time. They definitely had that that friendship. Whereas in this one, they've kind of put that to the side and they've decided, you know, we're going to be intense in this one. And I, I, I did. I enjoyed it. I agree with you there. Obviously, it just it just pushes Sting a little bit further over the edge, which you know that that this is. One of the most interesting things going right now is seeing Sting slowly transition. Uh, you can see it's just everything that he's doing now. You know, it's from growing his hair out a little bit to what he's actually saying. What he's saying, you know, he, he's made, I think, three death threats to Rick Flair now. <laughs> like, you know, that that's just not Sting. It's not mm. Sting. He wouldn't do that. Just uh, li- listening to Lex Luger, who's obviously a heel now, that kind, that kind of thing. He's really questioning him, himself. There is a lot of doubt, doubts casted over him. It's it's really interesting to see that because I I just assume that the NWO starts and he disappears for, for however long it is and then comes back dark sided. It's clearly starting to happen, and for me that is what a good two years of building that we're gonna have. And I'm really interested to see where it goes from here. Yeah, it's it's really good. But obviously, I'm biased as a, a WCW watcher and as obviously as a Sting fan as well. But I do think you'll enjoy it. Uh, it's a it's a really long term plan. Yeah. I again, I, I've been reading a little bit more of the WCW book by Guy Evans, and it does detail in there that sometimes you just can't plan these things for three months because if the crowd reactions aren't right, the storyline's just going to go in the shitter. So a lot of it was based, and again. Bischoff did used to get criticised for not having a plan when people were coming to Nitro and not having a plan three months, six months in advance. It's simply because he wanted to go off what was happening with the crowd. He wanted to make sure that the reactions were correct or if they were incorrect, change the storyline, change the character slightly and do all you can to just keep on top of what the crowd are actually giving you. So rather than you are providing for the crowd, it's now the crowd, particularly at this time in WCW, the crowd is actually writing the storyline without them knowing. So whatever they're reacting to, Bischoff's like, right, yeah, okay. If that's yeah. a positive reaction, then we've got to keep this going. But if it's a negative reaction, we've got to try something else straight away. Which makes sense, you know. Yeah. That If you do it that way, which I reckon every company really should do, uh, cough, cough, WWE, every company should be doing that. Listen to your fans. If a, If a person is getting booed, don't just drag it out and just thinking, yeah, the fans will come around. 
Fans are genuinely stubborn. We all know that. I'm stubborn. Just listen to me talk about Dungeon of Doom for fuck's sake. There's no winning me over with them. So, you know, uh, yeah, fans are stubborn. They'll tell you what they want with their voice. And I do tend to find WWE, AEW, they're not as bad for it. Unfortunately, we're also living in an era where it doesn't matter if you're heel or face. You're probably, if, if you're a popular character, you are going to get cheered. So it, it is a bit hard in that aspect. If, if a wrestler is being booed week in, week out, just give the fans what they want. Turn them heel. Yeah, the the whole ramming it down your throat sort of thing just doesn't doesn't sit well with me, to be honest. Um, no. Like you said, if, if they're being booed time after time after time and they're, they continue to be a face, you've got to be reactionary. Yeah. We're going to sign off this Nitro with the announcement that was obviously teased. And that is that Jimmy Hart is the legal executor to Hulk Hogan and he was allowed to sign documents and all this, that and the other. So the contract that was legally binding from Halloween Havoc states that even in a disqualification circumstance, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship can change hands. However, in typical Hogan fashion really, he didn't lose to a person. Instead, it will be held up so it will be a vacant title now and the winner of the preposterous World War 3 pay-per-view battle royal of 60 people will be the true WCW champion they did bring I forgot his name now but this the guy that they did bring down is actually it's Nick Glambros yeah he's a, he's a legitimate guy he's not just some you know just some fucking extra he's Kermit the Frog He's the, the right, so, right. Let, let me continue here. Right. I was so distracted when he came out. Uh, I was fucking laughing my head off when he started talking because this this show became the Muppets in their WCW the moment he opened his mouth. You got this fucking guy, this lawyer, and so, who's trying to lay down the law and he's like, you know, Nick McWinkle has do the title held up and will be on the line in the 60-man free ring clusterfuck at World War Three. It's like, fuck... I, I was just in hysterics listening to him. So I really shouldn't pick on somebody for having a funny voice, but I just could not help it. Honestly, afterwards, I was just thinking like, right, this is definitely a Muppet show. You've got Jimmy Hart fucking laughing like Elmo. You've got Kevin Sullivan looking like the Count, you know, one member of the Dungeon of Doom. Ah, ah, ah. And you've got fucking miserable Oscar the Giant Grouch. Fucking going, you know, that's my title. You know, oh, it's just so fucking ridiculous, this segment. So ridiculous to me. Well, Lambros is, um, he was like the ex-vice president of WCW. Um, so, it, like I said, he is a legitimate, he's not even a character, he's a, he's a legitimate person, which I, I'm going to presume was, was sort of put there to give it a little bit more realism and maybe to even make, you know, the Turner executives higher up who hated wrestling kind of take it a little bit more seriously and what I would have done here to be honest uh, going back to what you were saying about the giant the the giant's kind of like spitting his dummy out a little bit because he's got to give this title back whereas me personally I'd have made giant absolutely lose his shit you know I'd have made him go fucking berserk and it would have put him over massively yeah earlier in the show he picked up Dave Pesner and threatened him to tell him title was going to be on the line here why is Nick Lambros off uh, off limits he's an he's just another official okay he's a lawyer probably there's probably uh 
legal ramifications if he touched him, but fuck it, just let him go all out. Let Kevin Sullivan deal with the legal ramifications, or Jimmy Hart has seen he's suddenly an expert in all that. Yeah, it was a weird one, but uh, that'll close off our Nitro. This is uh, Nitro number 10 now. How did you feel this one went, Brian? Well, despite all the weirdness, um, the couple of short matches, I thought this was a really good show. Storyline development was at its best here, pretty much. Uh, the, the fact that there was actually storyline development here was, you know, was something. Yeah, despite all the weird uh, little segments, uh, the cutbacks to the locker rooms and all the cartoonish characters walking in front of the screen like uh, Jim Duggan was and all that, which kind of like just take, takes you out a little bit it's just making you think that this is so 80s and all that you can actually see the realism coming in now and I I, I, I did enjoy the show it was a solid three star show for me excellent stuff I think it's one of them again where the, the Dungeon of Doom have, have kind of taken a back seat again and they're sort of being mixed in with the rest of the roster yeah. so these past two episodes obviously this this current episode of the of the podcast that these last two episodes of Nitro have certainly made the Dungeon of Doom sort of take a step back, um, and that makes it more watchable again as we discussed on the last podcast. Yeah, and the fact that you actually get a couple of decent matches on this show as well that really does help. Yeah, the juxtaposition between last week's episode and this week's episode, you know, th- sorry, I'll. I'll retry that you know there's there's a big contrast between last week's episode and this week's episode this week you've got uh, a couple of long matches you've got a couple of short matches okay there's a dodgy finish in one of them but you know fuck it it, it is what it is you know it's, it's it's par for the course and it actually does help with storyline development but yeah you've got the storyline development in this episode where you didn't really have much of that in the last episode uh yeah it, it was a lot better a lot better this week yeah, hopefully Benoit's feet being on the ropes because it, 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 you know, they, they, they made sure that everybody saw that yeah. prolongs the, the, the development of that story and we get to see him wrestle a couple more times. But yeah, I completely agree. Them last two matches in particular, Eddie versus Benoit and Sting versus Flair, it's just, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes to take out your time and certainly watch those two matches. Maybe skip through the, uh, the segments, but watch the matches because they're well worth it. But the ratings for this one came in at a 2 for Nitro and a 2.6 for Raw. Uh, the role results were the British Bulldog with Jim Cornette defeating Marty Jannetty, Harriet O'Godwin versus Terry Richards ended in a no contest, Karma with Ted DiBiase uh, defeated Tony Roy, and in the main event, Isaac Yankum and Jerry Lawler defeated Bret Hart and Hakushi, who were accompanied by Barry Horowitz. The win came by disqualification, and Bret Hart lost in Canada. Yeah, all, always happens, does that? Hmm. Feel sorry for Sting and Flair to be honest, because I, I think I would have picked Sting and Flair over Isaac Yankum and Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart and Hakushi, but that's my personal preference. And that's going to round up our fifth episode of the Natural Gem Podcast. As always, we want to hear your feedback. We want to have a conversation with you, brother, because we love you guys because you listen to us, and all we're doing is chatting shit about WCW Natural. It's just crazy that you're listening to us. But we re- we really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you very much. We hope your lockdown is going okay. We're hoping that we are making it a little bit more entertaining for you. Uh, you can catch us on all the usual social media platforms. We are on Facebook, so give us a like. We're on Twitter, we're on Reddit, we're on Instagram. You can just at NitrogenCast. You can look for us on Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on a few others as well. The guys at Red Circle do all that for us, so thank you very much to them. And it's going to be good night from me, 
Marvelous Mark Ashworth, and it's going to be good night from Das Acton Kid, Brian Bradshaw. See you guys. And we will be back soon for another episode of the Nitrogen Podcast. Yeah, brother. Yeah.